0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. All right, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you here this morning. We're right in the middle of a message series entitled Better. Can I get you to say that? Better. One more time. Better. That's better. Thank you. And here's what we've covered so far in this series. Two weeks ago, in lesson number one, we learned that it's better to confront an angry bear than to hang out with a bunch of knuckleheads. Then last week, in lesson number two, we learned it's better to eat a few cut-up veggies in a healthy environment than to pound a bone-in ribeye surrounded by hostility. And if you ask me that's sound advice truthful and reliable words to live by i mean good common sense and this kind of wisdom is found in the book of proverbs godly wisdom that far exceeds anything that we could come up with on our own and yet oftentimes we ignore the truth in god's word and we choose a path that seems more logical more feasible. But what ends up happening is a whole lot of heartache and trouble. And what's so hard to swallow is oftentimes what's better is right in front of us. So choosing what's better is what God wants us to do. Making better choices is why Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He gives us this guidance and he gives us this counsel in his word. And we have this in front of us. We have the choice of choosing what God wants us to do. And that reminds me of the story of the wise old man who lived in a small village all by himself. And rumor was that this old man was smarter and more knowledgeable than anyone else in the land. And he always got it right. Can you imagine that? Never wrong. He could accurately predict the weather. And if he said it was gonna rain, it was gonna rain. When people in the village were involved in a fight and they were arguing, he always came up with a resolution to stop the argument and to bring peace. If there were some people who were sick, He'd always put together a little mixture of herbs that could bring healing. And again, his reputation was so great that people from all over, from miles away, came to talk with this man and to meet with him, to counsel with him, and to discuss their matters of life with him. However, there was one young man in the village that didn't appreciate the old sage very much. He was envious of his popularity and his influence. And he was determined to shame this man and to discredit him in front of the entire village. And so he hatched a devious plan. He brought all the people together that were in the village, had them meet at the old man's house. And he told them that he was gonna once and for all expose the man as a fraud and to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were wrong about him. Now, earlier in the day, he had caught a little bird in a net. And so calling the man out, he held the bird in front of him, and he said to the old man, Old man, if you're so wise and so smart, tell me, this bird that I'm holding in my hand, is it dead or is it alive? And if the old man said the bird is dead, he was going to let the bird go and the bird would fly away. If the old man said it was alive, he was going to crush the bird in his hand and kill it. And so in his own mind, the old man was in a no-win situation. He was going to humiliate him and discredit him. And so after staring at his confronter face-to-face for an uncomfortably long time, finally the old man spoke. And in response to the question, is the bird dead or alive, he said, young man, the answer is right in front of you. And furthermore, the outcome is in your hands. The answer is right in front of you, and the outcome is in your hands. And such is the case with the majority of decisions that we're compelled to make from time to time. Most of the answers, not all of them, but more often than not, The answer is right in front of us, and what's better is in our hands. We get to choose the outcome. The end result is in our power to do so. And when it comes to better, we don't have to guess or roll the dice. We have been given truth from God's Word, and that truth will enable us and empower us to make better choices. And I just have to say this. I have to tell you this. I am completely shocked and blown away by the number of good Christian people that I encounter from time to time who are facing major life issues. And they say to me, I know what the Word of God says, and I know what I should do, but I just can't. I just can't get there. Well, not least... Nineteen different occasions in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, oh, yes, you can. And he has backup in the New Testament. Philippians 4.13 says, I can. Say that. I can. One more time. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And with God's help, we can learn to do what's better. We can choose better. We can opt for better every step of the way. And so here's our little slice of wisdom for this morning. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Proverbs 17, one. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. One more time. Better a dry crust of bread... With peace and quiet, then a house full of feasting with strife. And as you can tell, this is going to be a continuation of last week. I'm going to continue right where Pastor Chris left off. And how many of you enjoyed Pastor Chris' message last week? This is a tremendous teaching from the Word of God. Okay, um, Proverbs 17.1. Uh, let's start with a, an eating story. My, my grandkids, they love Panera Bread. And whenever you go to Panera Bread to order a meal, whether it's a salad or a sandwich or whatever you're getting, the cashier will usually ask you about your side. And, and you have a choice of three. You can get a little apple, bag of chips, or a baguette. Now for those of you who are a little bit more health conscious, and you opt for the apple and not the baguette. Let me tell you what you're missing. (laughs) You're missing out on a rich-flavored artisan sourdough chunk of bread with a golden crunchy crust and a a soft chewy center. That's what you're missing. And when you take a little piece of that baguette and you dip it into some broccoli cheddar cheese, it will produce... The most appetizing and mouth-watering flavor that will ever land on your taste palate. It is that good. But what I just described to you is not at all what Solomon had in mind in Proverbs 17. In fact, he said, "Forget about the baguette and think about a dry, moldy, stale, shrivelled up and rancid piece of bread. And he said, that little morsel, that nasty crust with peace and quiet is better than a strife-filled six-course meal. Are you getting the picture here? A little piece of bread with peace and quiet is better than feasting surrounded by strife. And if Proverbs 17, one had a footnote, it would say, avoid strife at all costs. Avoid it like the plague. Now, hands down, my all time favorite holiday movie is It's a Wonderful Life. I've been watching It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas time for the past 35 years, maybe even longer. Every time I watch It's a Wonderful Life, I moved emotionally and compelled to count my blessings. Amen. Right on the heels of It's a Wonderful Life is my second favorite holiday movie, "A Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I watch Christmas Vacation not just around the holidays, but all during the year, have seen it so many times, I basically know every line by heart. I wanna show you a little clip, video clip, of Christmas vacation that we put together, but I want you to watch it in light of Proverbs 17.1, okay, where uh, Solomon is saying, peace is a whole lot better than strife. Okay, so so let's watch this clip together. very short. Just the teeniest bit, sorry, we didn't get a Christmas tree. No. Right, did you make the connection of Proverbs 17:1? meek and mild next-door neighbors Todd and Margot. they're enjoying a peaceful and quiet evening all by themselves there's not much substance there but just one house over Clark and Ellen cousin Eddie and all the rest of the Griswolds they're celebrating big time but there's so much craziness and chaos going on in that house that even the animals get all stressed out and they go nuts. And that stress, it just stretches right out into the neighborhood. That's what Solomon is talking about. When he said peace is a whole lot better than strife. In Proverbs 17:1, the lesson there is bigger is not always better. Sometimes less is more. And that's especially true when it comes to good old fashioned strife. Strife is a spoiler of everything that's good. And how do you think Solomon learned that? How do you think he knew that? He experienced it firsthand. I mean, read his story. And keep in mind that before he was king, before Solomon was crowned king, he was a prince. But not just any prince. He was the son of King David the Great. And as David's son, he experienced some real feasting at the king's table. The king's table included all you can eat, beef and pork and lamb and fish and fowl. And all the trimmings. And this kind of extravagant meal, it was prepared at the palace every single day. There was a ton of traffic taking place at the palace. People were coming and going all hours of the day and night. And so Solomon knew what it was like to be well off and to be well fed. But he also encountered a tremendous amount of family strife. When he was just a small boy, his sister Tamar was sexually assaulted by his half-brother Amnon. And after that happened, his older brother, Absalom, was infuriated with Amnon, and rightly so. He could not work that hate or anger out of his heart, and so years later, Absalom ended up killing Amnon in cold blood. David was forced to exile him from the nation of Israel. He booted him out of the palace and sent him off to a strange land. But then after several years, Uncle Joab, David's commander-in-chief, he appealed to David to pardon Absalom and bring him back to the palace, which David did. But because of his offense, David never really forgave Absalom for what he had done and did not invite him back to the palace, forced him to live outside and be on his own, which not only angered Absalom, but caused bitterness in his heart. And eventually, he led a rebellion against his own father. King David, his life was in jeopardy and forced to move from the palace. I mean, he was king, and he had to move out. Which angered Joab, especially since he was the one who appealed on Absalom's behalf. And so he took it upon himself to chase Absalom down and kill him with the sword. And that broke everybody's heart. And everything I just told you is in the Bible. I didn't color that up at all. Solomon grew up in a family with a lot of wealth, but there was twice as much strife. And so he pleased with us. And in Proverbs 17, one, Solomon says, I beg of you, peace is better than strife. Even if it means you're as poor as a church mouse with just a tiny little piece of cheese to your name. That's the premium that Solomon puts on peace. And in his writings, the apostle Peter wholeheartedly endorses what Solomon says. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. If you want to enjoy life, you really want to enjoy life and see happy days, then you have to search for peace and work to maintain it. This tells me that peace isn't going to automatically fall in your lap. You have to be proactive. You have to go after it. You have to be willing to fight for it and to work for peace. And so in the time remaining this morning, what I want to do is give you two ways, just two, to minimize strife in your life and in the process, foster an environment of peace. All right, two ways to reduce the strife and promote peace. And over the years, I have found that when it comes to family matters and life issues, keeping the peace is about as good as it gets. So here they are, two ways to do this. today. Two ways to reduce the strife, to generate peace. I'm gonna give you both of them up front, and then we're gonna take a look at them one at a time. The first way is to be available. Can I get you to say that? Be available. Secondly, be agreeable. Say that. Be agreeable. Be available and be agreeable. Okay, let's look at the first one, be available. And for the purpose of this message this morning, I'm not talking about being available to God. We all know how important that is. In fact, that's one of the top core values that we teach here at Community Christian Church. To use the spiritual gift that God's given you, to have a servant's heart, volunteer your time, get involved in acts of service. That's an important message, but it's another message. In the context of what we're talking about here this morning, when I say be available, I mean be available for your family, for your husband or your wife, for your children, your grandchildren, your parents, or the people closest to you. And again, availability in this context is more of an attitude than it is an action. Being available is having the mindset, I can make things better. But not make things better for myself. I can make things better for others. I can make things better in the world in which I live. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says it this way. Do nothing, how much? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves value others above yourselves. Now, if we were honest this morning, I mean brutally honest, we would have to admit that most of the time we don't value others above ourselves. And please don't misunderstand me. I know you're kind. I know you're considerate and thoughtful and generous with others. But when push comes to shove, most of the time what we focus in on is what's most important to me. What I want, what I need, what's going to make me feel better, what I desire and crave. These days we call that me time. And I've heard this phrase over and over again the last several months and years. I need a little me time. You know, i got to focus in on a little me time. And again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me time, especially if you're always on the go and you're always trying to help and you're always reaching out to other people and you need a little recharging. But please understand that left unchecked me time will translate into a whole lot of selfishness and greed. And for the record, greed is an intense, self-centered desire. It doesn't always have to do with money. It's an intense, self-centered desire, and greed and selfishness go hand in hand. And listen to this. According to the experts, greed and selfishness is the number one culprit of strife. Greed and selfishness is what produces strife, is when we're selfish. And remember, we're trying to minimize the strife. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create an atmosphere where there is less strife, where we can... Get rid of the strife. Proverbs 28, 25 says a greedy or selfish man stirs up strife. James three, sixteen says where there's envy and strife, there's confusion and every, every evil work. Strife not only opens the door to utter confusion and chaos, but it also welcomes in evil and demonic activity. Need I say it again? We have to lose the strife. We have to try to somehow minimize the strife. It has to go. Now, just hours before he went to the cross, before he was arrested and was crucified, Jesus spent those last few moments with his disciples celebrating the Feast of Passover. And he knew what was coming. He told his disciples even months earlier that he was going to go to Jerusalem and there he was going to fall into the hands of people who would put him to death. So he knew when he was meeting with his disciples on that occasion that he was facing eight to ten hours of excruciating pain and agony. That the soldiers were going to savagely beat him within an inch of his life and then they were going to crucify him, nail him to a cross. If there was anyone at any time in their life who needed a little me time, it was Jesus. He needed some support. He needed his disciples to be able to discern where he was at and just extend a a helping hand. But during that evening, just a few hours before all of this happened, what do we find Jesus doing? He's serving. He picked up a water basin and a towel. And not only is he washing his disciples' feet, but he spends the next several hours ministering to them, speaking to them, trying to console them so that he could make their lives better. Jesus was the epitome of Philippians 2.3. He modeled it 24-7 for three and a half years. All during that time, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, raising the dead, teaching the word of God, performing signs and wonders. He needed some ministry, but he, in fact, in those final moments, continued to minister to the people around him. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in Humility, value others above yourselves. That will reduce strife, friend. And so the number one way to minimize the strife and foster peace is to be available. The second way is to be agreeable. And right out of the starting gate, I love this concept of being agreeable because it doesn't have uh, anything to do with what it sounds like. You don't have to have the same opinion or see eye to eye in order to be agreeable. Did you hear what I said? In order to be agreeable, that does not mean that you have to believe the same exact way or see eye to eye on every life issue. Agreeable means to be pleasant, good-natured, and likable. Pleasant, good-natured, and likable. And again, according to the research, Agreeable people are the least stressful people to be around by a long shot. Do you catch that? By far. Those are the kinds of people that others are drawn to. Because the agreeables, they create an atmosphere of delight and joy. They have that kind of personality. And again, I'm not talking about simply going along with the flow. Or diplomatically avoiding controversy so they don't have to address the elephant in the room. Agreeable people don't spend the entire day nodding their head as if to say yes. But here's what agreeable people do. They smile a lot. They smile. They have pleasant, friendly... And charming, inviting personalities. And their personality alone has the capability of reducing stress. Now, I've been in the ministry full time for many, many years, closing in on uh, 35 or 36 years. I've had the privilege of working with people, and I mean that sincerely. I've worked with people because that's what pastoring and church ministry is all about. It's all about people. We're in the people business in church, and you get to learn about people. That's an honor. That's a privilege. Now, these days, more than past days, if there would be one word in my dealings with people that I would say uh, describes the way that people talk and communicate with each other, especially married people, Do you know what that one word would be? Bickering. Go ahead. Uh, Smile a little bit, breathe. Yeah. Bickering. And now we're not just talking about the seniors. I mean, because we're in church, let's be honest. Seniors love to bicker. You know, old married people, they, you know, they like to, to bicker. But I'm seeing this same kind of Activity take place in people of all ages. And here's a simple definition for the word bicker. To argue about petty matters, to perpetually quarrel, to fight and disagree. Bickering involves ongoing disputes and sharp word exchanges that are not only emotionally exhausting, but they can lead to hurt feelings, offense, and even bitterness. That's why Proverbs 23 says, it is to a man and a woman's honor to avoid strife, to do everything in your power to remove it. And since it looks as though bickering is here to stay and that it's not going anywhere anytime soon, as I bring this message to a close, uh, very quickly now, let me give you the the top five ways to engage in strife-reducing bickering. And you heard it first here at Community Christian Church. Five ways to engage in strife-reducing bickering. Now, I wish I could tell you to stop bickering. I mean, I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I don't think that's practical. I mean, we're in this argumentative rut, and I just don't think that we're going to be able to break free. It would be good that we could, but I don't think so. So if you're going to bicker, at least bicker without bashing. Here's how you do that. Okay, five ways. I hope you're picking up the cynicism and the humor. All right, number one. Don't make unfounded or exaggerated accusations. If you're going to attach blame to someone else for something that maybe you're responsible for, at least have all the facts right. I mean, if you're going to bicker, bicker truthfully. All right, number two. Don't wait for the last straw to drop before you finally have something to say. Some of you like a teapot. And you sit on that stove and just boil. And nobody knows you're boiling until the top flips open. And all of a sudden, you start whistling nonstop. You know, like I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Yeah. Say something before the boil. Number three, don't stockpile your complaints. Most people can only handle one complaint at a time you start throwing two and three complaints in succession, that's a recipe for disaster. Number four, avoid the words always and never. Always and never are usually an exaggeration that violates recommendation number one. Don't make unfounded or exaggerated accusations. Try using the words sometimes or occasionally you do this. And finally, number five, don't raise your voice or use a demeaning or degrading tone. You know, you don't have to yell. And check this out just because you're loud, it doesn't mean that you're right. If that were the case, I would be right all the time. Because I'm loud and I'm Italian, the two go hand in hand. So lower the volume a little bit and learn to listen. One more time. And even though I tried to present these humorously, they work. Don't make unfounded or exaggerated accusations. Don't wait until the last minute before you have something to say. Speak up, communicate. Don't stockpile your complaints. Avoid words like never and always, and you don't have to raise your voice. One final verse, and we'll call it quits for today Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Get rid of. Do what? Of. Do what? Get rid of, terminate, or eliminate all bitterness, rage, and anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil or bad behavior. All right? Bickering without bashing is good, but not bickering at all is better. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, once again, we thank you for the truth found in your word. We thank you, Lord, that Solomon was able to pass along some godly advice and wisdom for us because he experienced it firsthand. And Lord, he was able to wholeheartedly say to us in our relationships and in our families and in our lives, peace is important. Peace is a premium. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would do the necessary things to try our best to minimize and reduce the strife and the stress that we have in our lives. And in so doing, foster an environment and an atmosphere of peace. I pray, Lord God, that you would allow us to absorb some of this Proverbs wisdom and put it into practice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking directly to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us what it means to be humble and to be willing to serve and value others above ourselves. Pray that you'd use these closing moments, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.